Welcome to Life on the Illinois Prairie. Your host is Wendy Fleming Dexter, and after 30 years living in small town Illinois, she has stories to tell. Past cornfields and factories, into the heart of Amish country. There's more here than what meets the eye, far beyond what you think you know. So buckle up and stay tuned. This is Life on the Illinois Prairie. Welcome to Life on the Illinois Prairie. I am your host, Wendy Fleming Dexter. And if you've dropped by today, I can't tell you how excited I am that you're here, that you're going to enjoy today's guest so much. And if you're a local person, you will instantly recognize the name. My guest today is Chief Meteorologist Kevin Lighty from WCIA Channel 3 in Champaign, Illinois. He's a guy who keeps us safe. He keeps us informed. He keeps us entertained. And um, welcome to the show, Kevin. Wendy, thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Thank you for the lovely introduction there as well. Well, could you give us, um, just start off with a little bit of your background. I know you were from Vetersburg. You're from Vetersburg, Indiana, and watched WCIA as a youngster. Could you just tell us a little more about what sparked your interest in becoming a meteorologist? Yeah, so I get that question a lot, you know, as somebody that, you know, gets into this field, you could ask, well, what, what, what made you get into this? Why? Why, why? why the weather? And all I can say is, is ever since I was like five years old, uh, some of my earliest memories were of me watching thunderstorms, watching the weather come in as a very young kid and wanting to know more. I was at the same time, very curious about what was happening. I was scared to death at the same time. So a combination of curiosity and fear coming together that made me want to learn more to maybe get rid of the fears that I had of when these loud noises were crackling and bright flashes of light were happening. I decided, you know what? This is something I want to know more about. And it's something that I was able to follow ever since I was a young kid, all the way up to where I am today. And I understand that, that that's a rare thing. And as a kid growing up and when I eventually went to college, I just thought that's how everybody grew up. You knew what you wanted to do when you were five <laughs> years old, and then you did it. And I soon realized that that's not the case for everyone, and that's kind of rare. So I, I found myself very fortunate to have gone that path to, you know, do the cliche kind of, yeah, whatever you want to be as a kid, you can be that when you grow up. And while it, it is true, it is still rare for that to, to kind of come all the way around to full, full circle like it did. But so as a kid, I loved, I loved the weather and uh, wanted to know more. So, you know, I, I pretended as a, as a kid in the 90s. Growing up watching the Weather Channel, I pretended like I was one of them on television, and I would take out our old video camera, um, and I would, you know, put it on the tripod that uh, the thirty dollars tripod we bought from Kmart, and I would go out there and stand in front of it and pretend that I was Jim Cantori on the Weather Channel, and I have old home videos of this that are probably somewhere that uh, I don't know should see the light of a day, but uh, there is proof of this. And I just always 
just always loved it. And um, so that was kind of like the, you know, just just the spark. I, I just loved it. I wanted to know more about uh, mm. what was going on. That is wonderful. And very, like you said, very few people get to live out their dreams or even would consider being the same thing they wanted to be when they were when they were five years old. I used to want to work in a grocery store, and unfortunately, that's what I grew up and did. And <laughs> it wasn't near as exciting as as the weather. Well, I, I was saying that I, I was. I, I'm so fortunate that the only job I have ever had has been in broadcasting. My hmm. first job was. When I was 16 years old, I wasn't the, you know, the normal, you know, kid that, you, you know, maybe you bust tables or you waited tables or you worked at the local grocery store bagging, you know, I was fortunate enough when I was 16, I started out in radio and my dad had a part-time job at a radio station over in Danville, Illinois, which was about 20 minutes away from where I grew up in Petersburg, Indiana. And he had a job over there on the weekends just to help make ends meet. And so he, he, he had his normal job. He worked five days a week. And then he went over there two days a week and, and worked part-time on the weekends at this radio station. And I would go over there with him. So I, that's where my broadcasting side of things kind of met with the meteorology weather side of things. Cause I would go over there and you know, he, he, he wasn't on the air, but he was like uh, an engineer. He'd be the one like having to run the commercials and make sure that the, 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 you know, the St. Louis Cardinals game made it on the air and, and anything that they, that they carried. But I was there curious and over there, you know, going in the empty studio that the production studio hitting buttons and, you know, pretending like I was on doing the weather or, you know, a DJ. So that when I was 16, uh, the, the manager there was like, Hey, um, you know, you're, you're actually pretty good. You want to maybe do like a little DJ slot. And, uh, so I actually started, uh, doing some radio work when I was just 16 years old. And so ever since then, I've either been at a radio station or a TV station, um, ever since I was a kid. So I've never had any other job than that. And again, that's another such a fortunate thing for me is because uh, because I love both. I, I love the the broadcasting part of things and then the weather. And we married him together. And uh, here we are today sitting in the most fortunate spot that I could be in. But uh, it all it all just kind of happened at, at, the, at the right time with all that came, came together. Then eventually I went off to college. Um, and I actually have got two degrees. I, I did one in broadcasting at a, at a, at a smaller college in Indiana called Vincennes. Uh, they had a great broadcasting, uh, career, uh, uh, program down there. It was hands-on. They actually had the, you know, the kids got to actually be on the air. And so I was already doing radio. So I wanted to go do with something that, made me be able to do TV as well. And they had their own little local PBS TV station. So I started doing some weather down there um, while in college and I was able to put together a resume tape. And then that resume mm -hmm. tape, I was able to give to a television station in Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, where I went up there, did an internship between my freshman and sophomore year of college, but I already had a tape that I produced my freshman year of college. And so I was able to show them, Hey, here's what I could do. Well, how I got my first job in TV is kind of interesting. It was the 4th of July weekend in uh, 2002. And what happened was, is the, the weekend meteorologist quit. They said, I'm done. Well, as you can imagine, 
maybe the other people, like the chief meteorologist there, probably had plans, as they often, you get those perks of getting holidays off. Well, the chief meteorologist said, well, I've got plans. I'm out of town. And so here I am as a 19-year-old kid doing an internship, waving my hand saying, hey, give me a shot. I can do this. Well, they were kind of left with no other choice because everybody else was out of town. The weekend meteorologist quit. Newscasts go on no matter what. Doesn't matter what day it is. It's 365, 24-7. So reluctantly, they go, all right, kid, here. You know, there's probably going to be 17 people watching. It's the 4th of July. You know, people are out enjoying themselves. Go ahead. So I go on there and I do my thing. I guess it went well because on that following uh, Monday, they go, huh, that was actually pretty good. How about uh, you want to do you want to do this? We'll, we'll, we'll give you the job. You want to be our weekend meteorologist? I'm like, yeah, but like I got college and stuff I still got to do. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. So I got the job. I was taking 18 credit hours of classes, eventually from Vincennes. I went to Indiana State. So my first job, again, at the TV station was in Terre Haute at WTHI, Channel 10. Um, and <laughs> I went there, and I was driving back and forth for my sophomore year at Vincennes. And then when I transferred to Indiana State, I just kept doing the weather while still doing classes. And I still have no idea how I worked, you know, 40 <laughs> hours a week. And did 18 credit hours of classes. I still today, I'm like, how did I do that? But, you know, as, as a young up and coming, you know, go get him kind of kid, I was like, I can do this. And somehow I pulled it off. And uh, here I am wow. now, 20 years later. Gosh, 20 years. Uh, the changes you must have seen in the technology that is used from when you started to now has to be incredible. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, it's it's amazing. I, I kind of grew up in the time of, you know, the internet just really kind of blasting off and and computer systems, you know, getting better and quicker and faster and and able to to do more. And so I, you know, I was able to really kind of be in that time when, you know, weather systems were still kind of, you know, they were pretty basic, you know, they did what they needed to do, but they took a long time to render out the graphics you used to see. Those graphics you, you saw in the late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, those things sometimes took hours to render out, and now they're done in minutes um, and even less mm. than that. And so the ability to you know have understood the, the back end of things and, and how things really worked and having that knowledge and then growing up in the explosion of, of, of technology and, and just weather in general and Doppler radars that have improved so much. Um, it's, it's been really cool to kind of watch it all evolve and be a part of it. But I, listen, here's the thing. I know anybody listening out there that says, oh, you've got a meteorologist on here. <laughs> oh, I wish I could be a meteorologist, be wrong 50% of the time and still keep my job. If I had a dollar mm. for every time I heard that, I, uh, I, uh, I could be out uh, in uh, on the beach somewhere and, uh, you know, forecasting uh, the weather there from my beach chair on the beach. But it's true. We have gotten way better at this. I promise you, if you if you go and compare, you know, 30 years ago 
forecast verification to what we have now, it is tremendously better. Yes. Do we all maybe get it wrong every once in a while? Of course, that's human nature. You know, it's also mother nature that fully has control over what happens. We do our best job to try to predict how it's going to play out. But I'm telling you, compared to what we had a long time ago, things have improved significantly. And we'll only continue to do so as as, as better modeling comes in and technology improves. But um, listen, even from my 20 years ago when I, when I started, um, there's just so much that, that we've been able to evolve and do, especially when it comes to severe weather uh, because of Doppler radar imp- improvements that have occurred and the things that we can see on the Doppler, which, mm. you know, tornado detection is obviously paramount and one of the biggest things we need to, you know, be on top of our game because that's, you know, life-threatening kind of stuff. And we have gotten a lot better on being able to detect that and predict that days in advance instead of it just happening, you know, popping up there and being, oh, wow, there's a tornado. So it has improved a lot. I know, you know, it's the running joke is always going to be there, but uh, I'm telling you, it's, we've gone a long way from 30 years ago. Well, from hearing you guys, the Storm Tracker team, when you're when you guys are reporting about severe weather, and you know, I hear see things uh, when you guys talking about a debris field and things that I had never heard before, and when you can see and, and interpret what's on a screen and what's flying through the air and the severity of that storm, and whether it's you know a derecho or tornado, when you guys can interpret that and and be able to pinpoint with dead certainty, if you're in Robinson, you need to take shelter now. You guys save lives. And that must be a, a fulfilling part of your job to be able to emphasize to people how severe something is going to be and how life-threatening that can be to them, to us. So you're exactly right our ability to understand the level of, you know, how bad something is, is so much easier now than it was even 10 years ago. It was about 10 years ago that something called dual polarity Doppler radar came out. And it was basically an enhancement to the already implemented uh, what we call uh, 8088D Doppler radar systems that were implemented across implemented across the United States back in the late 80s. All those, if you've ever drove by one and it looks like a big dome with a golf ball sitting on top of it, then it's really the Doppler Mm. radar. And that's what we can track. Those got a big improvement um, around 2010, 2012 to this dual pole. And now what that did was, you know, the normal radar, you look at it and you go, oh, look, it's raining. Okay. Oh, oh, the bright (laughs) colors, that must mean heavy rain. Well, now on that radar, we can determine whether that's a raindrop, a hailstone, a snowflake, or a two by four, mm. or sheet metal, or something that is not the unique shape that we know of, which is a raindrop. We know we know the shape of a raindrop, and we know the shape of a hailstone largely. We know the shape of a snowflake largely. So now, when the Doppler radar goes out. And it finds something not in the shape of those things. It goes, whoa, that that's not normal. And so that's when we know that that Doppler radar signature is picking up debris. And then that's Mm -hmm. when all the alarm bells go off for us and say, hey, this isn't just Doppler radar. We know that something bad is happening because that radar beam has hit something that is not 
the shape that we're used to seeing of a raindrop. <laughs> it's something else. And that has to be some kind of foreign object, whether it's from a home, trees, something like that. And so that's why our improvement of the technology with this is has been so crucial because now I can tell you for certainty, sitting in a studio 100 miles away from a storm, this is a tornado and it's doing damage mm -hmm. and you better take shelter or your life is in danger. And so mm -hmm. it has gotten way easier, I must say. And and I love that because I now I have this confidence in my forecasting and severe weather coverage that when I see that signature on radar, uh, my, you know, like I said, my, my heightened, you know, sense and my voice tone inflection changes because I'm like, oh boy, this is the real deal. And then hopefully people interpret that as well at home when they're watching. And then they then take the proper action to, uh, to stay safe. But yeah, the technology with that is great. And then knowing that we play a role in that, that, that we potentially have made someone take action because of our confidence in this and our ability to detect this and giving them, you know, a warning and a lead time to take shelter and do what they have to do. And then sometimes people will come back afterwards and they give you that back that, hey, you you saved our lives. You mm -hmm. I didn't think it was going to be that bad, but I heard you say, you know, here's the tornado. It's lofting debris into the air. Take shelter now. And then they come back and say wow, I, I, you know, I didn't think it could happen to me. I didn't think it could, mm -hmm. and it did. But because of you and your team, um, you've saved our life. That right there is why largely I got into it. I wanted mm -hmm. to, you know, not only just help people on the day-to-day, -day, it was, I want to I make an impact somehow in this world. And I guess that was for me was when bad weather happens, and people, you know, they're, they're, you don't want a senseless loss of life, you know, from a storm. So if you can do something to help protect people and and get them to to take action and, and take shelter so that their lives are saved, then that's fulfilling to me. And, and that's why I, I largely got into this and and still do it today because, uh, you know, it's just we can we can we have the technology to 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 tell people ahead of time and protect them and, and, and let them know what they need to do. It's on them though, to take those actions. Uh, we can mm -hmm. only lead you, you know, you can only lead the horse, you know, to the trough there. Uh, they got to drink it. Um, and it's the same thing. People have to take those actions once we put them out there, but we're doing everything we can in so many different ways to get that message out there to people. But it is definitely fulfilling when you, when you hear back from people that say you made a difference. Well, you know, and I know that your team does it in so many ways. You have the WCIA weather app and that you have, I know you're active on Facebook and, and other social media, and you give out NOAA weather radios and help people program those. I mean, you guys really are concerned for the safety of people in this, in this community and in this area. And I know, I know people really appreciate that. I, myself, when when I, when I live in the country and when I know there's a blizzard coming up, I mean, I make preparations, you know, that gives you time to, to charge your, your, uh, anything that needs to be charged, your cell phone or, or any other things and make preparations for my, my power is going to likely be out when there's a blizzard and it's, uh, you know, you just make preparations when you know these things are coming And And as you said, I mean, that's up to us to, to follow through, but I, I think you guys really go the extra mile to ensure our safety. Well, here in 2023, 
we understand that things have changed in terms of how people consume the weather and uh, just the news and media in general. And so we've had to stay up with the times. We understand that people are maybe not always glued right there next to their television set. And that was the traditional way for so long that people got information, you know. But we know now that we have to deliver that in a lot of different forms. And whether that's through social media, um, on, on streaming, on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, or it's through our weather apps that send out notifications, or again, still the traditional Noah weather radios that I am still a, a big proponent of, especially for people that don't live close to uh, outdoor warning sirens or live out in the country or maybe don't have, you know, internet, at, you know, fast internet at home or anything like that. There's a lot of people that still don't and they rely mm. upon more traditional ways. But we know that there are other people, especially the younger generation, where they get everything off of the handheld device in their hand that is attached to them all the time. So, <laughs> you know, we, we, we try to get that message out in as many ways that we can. And we have the ability to do that. So, and we've, we've just had to adapt to that. And it's not just about uh, the TV signal that goes out because we also know that guess what? If there's bad weather coming through, there's a good chance that you do lose power and now you're not mm -hmm. watching us on TV or, you know, um, or if you have satellite and it rains, guess what? You don't have our signal anymore because your satellite dish does not like rain. So we have developed these other mediums for you to get that life-saving information, um, whether it's on your phone, your iPad, you know, on the social media platforms, the apps, as many places as we can. Every time I turn around, there's something new that pops up. That, uh, this new thing, Threads, that came out. I got There's another social <laughs> media platform that I guess we got to get on now. So just always, uh, you know, staying up with with what's out there is uh, is what we're trying to do, just so everybody can get that that uniform, unified message. Well, as a viewer watching you and the storm team, when you guys are in the middle of a severe weather forecast or in the broadcasting about the upcoming event or in the middle of it, you guys are multitasking in ways I can't even imagine. I know you're keeping track of of all the social media and all the incoming from you know NOAA Weather Service and all these uh, other and incoming texts and uh, messages that people are sending you about what's occurring in their neighborhood at that point in time. That's got to be a lot to keep track of. Yeah, it is. It is an influx of a lot of information coming at you. I mean, just being thrown at you mm -hmm. at one time and you're trying to sift through, you know, what's relevant what, you know, what, what should we be trying to tell people, you know, what is, you know, sometimes we get messages about something that you're like, oh, are you sure that's what you're seeing? You know, we have to kind of QC or quality control some of the stuff to, to know, okay, is this something we want to put out there yet? Are we, has this been confirmed kind of things? We want to be careful about that, but we do get a lot, you know, we're, we're, we're tracking the radar. We're looking at reports coming in, you know, we're, we're trying to get the message out. We're trying to sift through photos and videos that come in to us. We're, 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 we're keeping tabs on our teams that are out in the field that are going to either get damage or in our storm tracker to bring us the live coverage uh, when we're out chasing the storms. And so, that's why we have a four-person weather team, and we're able to delegate those tasks just within the weather team. But then we have our news team that gets implemented into this uh, this strategy as well when there is severe weather, and we can hand things off to them. But yes, it is 
while some people may look at it as, oh my gosh, this is, that's got to be so stressful and that's got to be, oh, wow, how do you do all that? To me, it is exciting. And while at, you know, on one side of the coin, you, you don't want, you don't want damage. You obviously don't want injuries. You don't want any of that. But at the same time, as, as a, a weather loving meteorologist, I live for those days. I live for mm. those moments because that's when all eyes are on you and where people are seeking information from you and you need to be there to deliver it and you need to be at the highest level of your game. And mm. for me, it's what I consider, it's the Super Bowl, you know, of, of weather for us <laughs> on those big day events. And, um, and I enjoy the, the challenge and the whole team does. And, and we, we, we definitely get up for those days, but again, you have to, you balance it with, you know, the level of obviously nobody wants damage. Nobody wants anything, but people are still going to be there. Um, whether or not there is damage or not hoping and seeking for that information from you. But, but I, I love being under pressure like that and just making it happen, you know, and, and, and I get people that tell me all the time when they watch our severe weather coverage, they're like, I can't turn away. Because <laughs> I, I just don't know what's going to happen next. I, I just yeah. keep watching because it's so it's so compelling, and and I never thought of it that way until people you know you know would say that. But that's what I, we try to deliver is is that so that you don't get lulled to sleep with the coverage. Because I get it. If you sit there and you watch the meteorologist or whoever, just stand there in front of a, a radar that's sweeping around with colors on it and that's all you're showing, then people are going to, you know, be like, oh, well, this, you know, okay, this isn't that bad. And, or, oh, you know, oh, this is boring. They, they, they're just keep repeating themselves. Why are they on my TV? Get back to my show. So <laughs> we, um, you know, we try to, you know, deliver a product that keeps people, you know, either engaged enough so that they understand how serious it is and, you know, to where they, you know, don't turn the channel like, oh, this may, this must not be that bad. But when we show pictures, videos of, of how these storms have evolved or how they've, how they've done damage and how they've done things, then people go, oh, whoa, okay, this is the real deal. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then they take the action that they need to do because we're showing them proof because, because, uh, social, um, science and and ha have discovered that people need these double and triple confirmations of severe weather being bad. Mm -hmm. It's not enough for me just to say, hey, guys, it's going to be severe weather today um, or, hey, this storm is bad. That's one confirmation, but they need like double or triple. They need to see the mm -hmm. damage. They need to see, you know, or hear from, you know, other people that have been affected by this. Cause then that triggers something, uh, within them, um, to go, Oh, wow. Okay. I, I should do something, you know, and take action because this seems bad. So that's why we do what we do when we go out and we, we chase the storms to show you the pictures, to show you the video, to show you what's going on. Instead of just, you know, like I said, having the Doppler radar spin around and, and, and show colors and let's just talk over it. So that's why we, we really try to make it, I don't want to call it a show, but we, we try to make it so that people see and, and understand and feel the potential impacts that a storm could have. 
Well, we always hear about reality shows, which are really not, but this, what you guys do, is really reality show. I mean, reality in real time. And uh, you do save lives, you do keep us safe, and and um, I know that people appreciate that. I know you've seen some very severe events. I know you went over and uh, reported on the dust storm that went through, that, that happened a few months ago, and these things have to be emotionally charged for you to see these things and see the aftermath of all of this. I know that's probably tempered with the fact that you've saved lives in other situations, but is there any one event or, or what, which events have stuck out in your mind most prominently? I know you saw the Joplin tornado aftermath. Yeah, the Joplin tornado by far is the number one event that will stay with me for my entire career. So hmm. the Joplin tornado, May 22nd, 2011, which is crazy to think that, was that really 12 years ago? Oh my goodness. Hmm. That one is with me because I was there soon after that occurred. And that was an EF5 tornado, strongest tornado you can have on the, on the scale that goes from zero to five. And I was there right after it. And the human brain can't comprehend what you're seeing there. And it was mass devastation on a level that I've obviously never seen before and what, what most people will never see in their lifetime, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But it was every direction you looked flattened everything. You couldn't mm -hmm. tell what street you were on. You didn't know what street you were on um, because they were all gone. All the landmarks mm -hmm. wiped off and you, you didn't know where you were. The, the things that will really, that, that stay with me today that I swear I, some days I can, I, I can smell it is just the mm -hmm. pungent smells of gas and um, mm -hmm. just uh, broken wood, um, you know, from trees and the, the cedar smell. And, and uh, I mean, not to be morbid, but it was a thing. It was the smell of death. There were 161 mm -hmm. people that died and <sighs> you were there where maybe there were not, you know, they were not done doing the rescuing part of things. And there are cadaver dogs that are around there. It was tough, you know, to be there and you had to be there to cover it. And the, it was the one time where I, when I stood there and I was doing live shots and talking about it, that I felt like I was not doing my job very well oh. because I was trying to convey to people what I was seeing. That's what we do as reporters and meteorologists. We try to come up with the right words to convey exactly what the scene is. And I couldn't come up with the right words because I, it was like, it was insignificant. It was insufficient to what I was trying to describe because I couldn't describe it because it was so hard to do because the human brain mm. was hard to wrap around what you were seeing. And I felt what you saw through the lens of the camera is just such a small little bit. But when you were there with your own eyes and you could see 360 degrees around, it's just, uh, it was just unbelievable how mm. bad that was. And, uh, 
and that stays with me, you know, and, and I hope I never have to cover, you know, something like that again, but it just goes to show that, man, you, the weather can, can get really bad in the, in these tornadoes that are rare can occur. Um, and even people that maybe were doing the right thing and, and trying to take shelter in those kind of tornadoes, if you weren't underground, um, you know, if you weren't in a really sturdy shelter, you really didn't have a chance. But mm. at the same time, from covering that, there were many unbelievable survival stories that came out of it as mm. well that just were amazing to hear about. And so it was it was really good to be able to cover that side of things and hear about the survivors that went through this and what they did and, and how they went through it. Um that that gave you the hope. So that that was good to do as well. But I will I won't ever forget that. I think about it on the anniversary year every year. I look at the pictures um from being there soon after and it was bad. It was bad. But I I, I think what came out of that it, it did give a level of you know people changing their habits, taking the weather, you know, more serious and mm-hmm. You know, you hate that it takes something like that to 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 get that kind of reaction and behavioral change, but it did it for them. Um, and I think for you know a large part of the country that that saw that tornado or some of the other EF five tornadoes that have occurred down in Alabama, I, I, a heightened level of hey, let's <laughs> let's take this serious. And I hope that uh, people continue to do that um, as we go forward. Well, knowing that you have Channel 3 has been uh, sort of recognized for being most accurate in their weather reporting for I don't know how many how many times, that, you know, people trust you guys. We trust you guys. I say guys. I know that there, Amelia was there when she was there, and I, but I mean all of you, the team, you guys work together and to keep us safe. And is there anything you'd like to share about your – I know you have a wonderful son, Zachary, and a wife, and, he, and you just lost your poor little – Wrigley, or and you're a Cubs fan. Is there anything else you'd like to to share that you like doing outside of work? I mean, I know it's probably all intertwined, but yeah, you know. So, uh, yep, I um have a wife, have a little two year old son named Zachary, and boy, I tell you what, that was uh, life changing. You know, I <laughs> listen. I've I've always been a huge workaholic. I I know that I spend way too much time at work. And spit, you know, that that's a lot of my life. But when he came along, it was a rude awakening of <laughs> guess what, kid? You, this is a second job now. All right. So um, it was a life adjustment for sure. And I, I do get less sleep now for sure. But at the same time, it's it's really been fun for me becoming a dad and balancing that work. And, and home life and whatnot. And, you know, as anything, and uh, anybody out there that's obviously a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You, you adjust, uh, you adapt, you overcome, and you, you be, it becomes a new routine. Uh, you know, whatever that routine is, you, that's your routine and that's what you go through and, and you make it work. And, and that's, you know, that's what I've come to do. And, but it's been great. Um, he's, he's so much fun. And to see him, <laughs> you know, through your eyes and or his eyes through you. And just kind of, it's so cool to kind of watch him do that. So that's fun. But yeah, you, you also talked about my dog Wrigley. I had, I tell you, I had a dog for 18 
years, 18 years for a dog. I know that's, that's so rare, but what's so interesting about, about him is so in television, you have, you move around a lot, especially early in your career. Okay. And I mentioned earlier (laughs) how I started in Terre Haute, Indiana. I got Wrigley in 2005 and he was at my first TV station in Terre Haute. Uh, when I left Terre Haute, I went to Lexington, Kentucky for my next job. And I worked down there for a few years and he went there with me. Uh, when I left there, um, I did a little work back in Indianapolis. He moved with me up there. When I left there, I went down to Springfield, Missouri. He came with me there. When I left there, I came to back here to Champaign and he was here with me. So he was with me along my entire broadcasting career oh. journey all the cities, yeah. all the moves, all of that. And so such a big part of your, I mean, he was, he was around for almost half of my life. So you lose your dog, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody, um, you know, it has a pet, you know what I'm talking about, but, uh, recently lost him, but man, he, um, he brought so much joy to our lives and we're, uh, glad that we had him. Um, but yes. And he was named Wrigley cause I'm a big Cubs <laughs> fan, but we actually got to take him up to Wrigley field in Chicago. And, um, we took him around the ballpark and he got, he's got a picture by the statue with Harry Carey. And he's got a picture right in front of the Wrigley field marquee and all that. So I have all these great memories with him. And I was was glad that he was able to, you know, obviously meet our son and whatnot and had that time, but, uh, he'll be missed, um, for sure. But I tell you what, between when we had the dog and my son and my wife, not saying my wife's bad, I'm just saying between all of them and then work. There was plenty there to deal with, so we might <laughs> hold off on getting another dog until Zachary's a little bit older, and <laughs> yeah. you know, because uh, you know it's a lot managing all of that. Well, sure, it would be. And as an animal lover, well, my husband and I are both uh, animal lovers, and you know, we deeply empathize when you lose uh, one that's been with you that long and is part of your family. I mean, they they just are such a part of your family. So we sure said our sympathy when you lost him. And I know it takes a, they, they take a big chunk out of your heart when they go. You guys just heard this morning that Karina Rubio is going to be joining your evening team. That's correct. So we (laughs) recently had the departure of Jessica Coons, who was our evening anchor there for eight years, I believe. So she left to pursue other other opportunities. And so Karina, who's been doing the morning show for three or four years, three years, I think um, she's now taking Jessica's spot. She'll be joining us in the evenings. And so um, awesome to have her come with us on the journey. She'll be adjusting her life quite a bit because if you do the morning show, you wake up at 2 a.m., you're into work by 3 a.m. And <laughs> now it's completely flip-flopped. You go into work at 2 p.m. and you, you know you get off at 11 o'clock at night. So she'll have some adjusting to do, and that's the thing about you know, you know TV is uh, and TV news. Our hours are messed up. They are not the normal <laughs> eight to five hours, and so um, you have weird routines and schedules that that you're in. So she will be <laughs> seeing what that's all about here. She makes the switch. Well, Kevin, I, I have a thousand more things I'd like to talk to you about. Maybe you'll come back someday. You think you'd consider that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's It's been great. Love being able to talk about it. Well, I wanted to humanize you. You know, people see just, they see you up there. You guys are, you have a job and you, you have a commitment, you have a family, but you know, people don't see behind the scenes to see what, what fine humans you really are. And uh, you put up with some things on social media that 
other people might not have to endure, but that may be talk for another day. But I appreciate you being here so much, and I know our listeners are going to love having had you here. Any closing thoughts you'd like to say? Well, I'd just like to yeah, obviously thank you for inviting me on here with you. You know, I, I love the <laughs> the podcast boom that's happening and and people like yourself, you know, being able to have a voice out there and, you know, talking about different topics. I think it's really cool for you to be doing that and others as well. But listen, here's the thing, you know, just keep keep that eye to the sky. I like to tell people all the time, keep an eye to the sky. All right. <laughs> we got you covered. Uh, we'll always let you know what's going on and just be kind, you know, just be kind every day. Invaluable advice, Kevin. Thank you so much. I'm your host, Wendy Fleming Dexter. Thank you for stopping by on this episode of Life on the Illinois Prairie. And we hope to see you next time. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Wendy. Thanks for listening to Life on the Illinois Prairie, the undercurrents of our American life. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe to Life on the Illinois Prairie wherever you get your podcast. Stay tuned for more stories, interviews, and updates. I'm your host, Wendy Fleming Dexter. Until next time. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.